Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to A Higher Branch. This week, we share with you part two from our interview with the amazing Jim Quick. To see some video snippets from this recording and other great Jim Quick content, you can head over to our Instagram, which is a underscore higher underscore branch. For the full live interview, you can also head to our YouTube channel by the same name. There you will also see some videos of all our faculty of experts, including highlights from Upgrade Your Life 2020 and one amazing video from David Goggins. Now, in today's episode, we hear some questions from our listeners for Jim Quick relating to children's learning, speed reading tips, and we find out exactly why we get distracted. This is one piece of information that Jim shared that was completely fascinating and one that is super important because I think that it is distractions that is keeping us from staying focused on the things that matter in life. This was a great interactive part of the podcast and one that you will love because it covers not just our learning, but our social connection. And he dives into so many different topics. Honestly, it was just so full of information. I'm really excited for you guys to hear this podcast. So let's play the recording. So what I might do now, if that's okay with yourself, Jim, is just to get some questions some of our people so the first one is from uh, alex alex writes are you able to give us an insight on how kids brains work and how parents could adapt to best interact with their kids that's wonderful alex blank that's a great question alex and so yes absolutely while i love working with adults honestly what i'm doing is teaching them trying to unravel bad habits and unlearn bad habits of mindset and, and motivation and their, and their methods. And so to be able to work with children before they install these beliefs or they install these poor re- ways of reading or studying or focusing, is it's, it's something I'm very passionate, especially with what I went through. So going back into this, there's so many touch points for this using this framework. I'll just go through a couple of them. The best thing I, it's been my experience working with children for my whole career for for almost three decades is first of all, is first model the behavior, meaning that the children are always watching and they're going to do what more what you do rather than what, what you say, certainly. And so that's first and foremost, because I believe the life you live are the lessons you teach everybody around you, children and otherwise. Even in business, a manager could preach something to his team, but the team knows like whether that manager is actually living it also as well. So I would start always in alignment with that. Going into any part of this book, the three books, you could go into mindset, talking about Dr. Carol Dweck's work in terms of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. I know a number of people are familiar with that, but what it fundamentally it's saying, you're not rewarding calling children gifted or not calling them genius or something that's saying that it's fixed because what happens in terms of the research, and I'm grossly summarizing this just in terms of time's sake, is that when they fail, which inevitably we, we do, right? We don't want never perfect. Then they feel like that, that it's fixed, that it's either something that they have or, or don't have, as opposed to rewarding them for, wow, that's amazing the effort you put into it. You're, you reward discipline, you reward effort, because if you reward and reinforce those, then, then we know that that persistence and that consistently will always show up so people can be able to produce as opposed to a fixed mindset where they feel like they're either good at math or, or 
good at this or they're not. And so that would be one area of mindset. But for children also in, in the motivation area, it's this is a fun area to play in. Take any of those PES3s, E especially, energy. A lot of children are, you know, they need energy to be able to, to focus. So maybe they sometimes they have an abundance of energy, but just the things that we've talked about on stage that, that you could do for children in terms of giving them the brain diet, in terms of what to eat matters, especially for their gray matter. And there's a whole area of science we talk about in the book called neuronutrition that our brains have different nutritional requirements than the rest of your body. Or also going back to mindset, the negative thoughts, because then you using terms like if somebody says, child says, I'm not good at studying, you could go in to help them reframe that. So I'm not good at studying yet, or adding a simple word like yet or reframing it into something more positive so that they're aware of their self-talk because I believe your brain is like a supercomputer and so is your children's brain. If they say something out loud, their talk, self-talk is the program will run. So if they say, I'm not good at studying or I'm not good at remembering names or whatever, you won't remember the name of the next person you meet because you program your supercomputer not to. So a lot of areas in, in there that you could have touch points on uh, as well. Positive peer group. We know that we are the average of the people we spend time with the most, including your children. That it's not just their neurological networks, it's their social networks. And again, you can't manage all this perfectly. It's not about being perfect. It's just about making a little progress, but you have part something your children are such great learners because they have these mirror neurons. And as I said, that they are always imitating what's around it most. That's why they adopt the same language, the same habits, the same eating patterns as people they spend time with. And things like sleep is a big challenge, especially with children when they go into school, like the children's brain, especially young ones, they're not really set up to start studying at seven, eight, and especially teenagers also as well. And yet we have them on these kind of set schedules. And sometimes you know, we have to make the best of it. And other times it helps to know your chronotype or your children's chronotype. There's these you know, early bird night thing. There's a whole bunch of areas there. I could go on and on. On that note, I actually might introduce uh, Matthew McCool, who is a, a school teacher, owns a thriving uh, tutoring business in Sydney's eastern suburbs. And he's a big fan and he wants to ask a few questions as well. So Absolutely. I'll loop him hey, in. Matt. Excellent. Thank you for the opportunity, Jim. It's good to see you, man. You too, you too. I've loved the 3Ms model, first of all. I've made some notes here and I've got some uh, ideas and questions from students and parents that I think are very relevant to what you're saying because yeah. as teachers and, and parents, I can see where the 3Ms fits in to what we do and, and I think especially at a high branch tutoring, all teachers understand the methods. I feel like teachers get the methods step right easier than all the other M's because they know what to teach. They know the steps outlined there and you mentioned that S3. Teachers call that scaffolding, which is when you give a student a, a giant task or assessment, it needs to be broken up into those small achievable steps in order for them to achieve it. So methods is easy to achieve and that's what we outline in all our lessons and study videos but i suppose where it gets a bit challenging is with motivation and mindset and that's something we are big preachers of in our lessons and programs but especially with motivation i find a common question that pops up is students of all ages in primary school it's easy to answer the question when am i going to use this in real life and it's easy in year seven and year eight and year nine starts to get a bit harder later on in high school when we're you know, doing trigonometry or calculus or analyzing the works of, of Shakespeare. And I feel like purpose is the number one fundamental because I believe that all our students can achieve success academically. But where they go south is, is in motivation, where do they actually 
see the value in what they're doing. Because if they do, if you get a child that's interested in something and engaged in it, they will surprise everyone. They will achieve better results than even what we expected them to. What is your advice for children in finding their purpose and motivation in school when they have to study something or participate in something that they normally wouldn't select as, as their own choosing. Yeah. And, and it's interesting when we're talking about purpose, energy, and small, simple steps, it's that simple and it's also that hard. Yeah. So it's not saying at all that this is an easy thing in terms of, but it's definitely difficult. And often a lot of the things that are worth anything is takes effort without a doubt. So let me just frame it that way. So working with, with children, obviously purpose, as you described it, when a child sees the relevancy of something, there's purpose behind it. Or at a meta level, like they, they could apply it towards something they could see why it's important. We're talking a lot about mental exercise and mental fitness. This is reframing the learning process where children naturally are very great learners, right? Without any kind of extra training, they absorb information. They have this natural curiosity or bewilderment about things. They're willing to fail. Even if we're taking a toddler, how many times does a, a, a child fall before they learn how to be able to walk? And, but as, and never after the 20th time of falling do they say, okay, walking is just not for me. That wouldn't make any sense because everyone does. But later on as adults, sometimes we'll try coding or karaoke or learn a less salsa and we just try it once or twice and then we feel like we look bad. So to be able to preserve that, I'm not saying it's at all easy. All learning is state dependent that I, I found. All learning is state dependent, meaning that the state you learn something in gets encoded in the information and it not only helps you to remember it better, but it also helps you to be able to, that state you learn it in is apt to help you to jumpstart that, that activity. So I was, I was doing a, pro, a talk in Silicon Valley a few years ago and afterwards um, Bill Gates comes up to me, he was in the audience and we started talking, I, I asked him at the beginning what superpower what would it be and it's like reading because leaders of readers, I was like, I go, it's like, I totally help you with that. And, and he was like, we started having this conversation about the future of education. And I was talking about from a meta learning standpoint, accelerated learning theory, learning how to learn, which I think is the most important thing to teach is how teaching children how to learn so they could apply it towards Spanish history, science, any, anything else. And then he was talking about it from a technology standpoint, it's tools and technology in terms of the future education. And then a whole crowd, I posted this on Instagram, was gathering around us and listening in. And somebody says, is there anything missing? If you have the theory and the tools and the technologies, what else is missing? And then we came to the same conclusion. It's exactly this. It's human motivation. Because a lot of people have access to these tools or they know what to do, but they're still not doing it. And going back to children, this love of experimentation, this love, and I'm really big on play and experimentation as anyone has seen me on stage, where I make it as interactive. I try to tap into these games with the big children, chronologically adults, to be able to play and engage. And then often I get pushback from somebody saying, oh, I I stopped playing because I grew older. And I was like, no, you grew older because you stopped playing. And I think it's important for children to find a challenge to be able to, at a meta level, in terms of mindset, we teach them that this challenge is, is normal, that this is something that they should embrace, just like as somebody would, if they're working out, they're exercising their muscle, and uh, they're not looking at the weights, upset at the weights, they're using this as, a, as an opportunity to challenge their mind, to get mentally fit, to be able to be playful, to come up with new solutions. And that goes back to a lot of uh, growth mindset first 
fixed mindset, but I think their purpose could be the learning itself that they're building in terms of focus and remembering things and, and understanding things and a love for learning. I can't think of anything that would be more important to install in a child than a love for the process of learning as difficult or as, 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 as easy as it is. That and a sense of responsibility, meaning that I really do believe if I can install something in me as when I was going through my learning challenges, I would be that I was 100% responsible for my life because I feel like if a, anybody of any age or stage believes that they are responsible for the world that they're creating, then they have at least with great responsibility, they'll have great power to make things better. Yeah, definitely. I can say that. And that's why in a lot of our lessons, we incorporate real world activities so that they can, in a fun way, apply what they're learning to a real world task that then makes more more sense to them. But I suppose nowadays, students are learning in an extraordinary time, I feel. Even compared to when I was 10 or 12 years old, now everything is so much faster. There's so much more information available. Kids are so busy nowadays with sport, co-curricular, learning a musical instrument. And on top of that, they need to maintain their social schedule, which used to be a lot simpler. You just go and kick a ball. But now there's a Snapchat, Instagram, there's all these other networks that are going off. If you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice, if you were, let's say, a student in school today, what would it be in terms of managing all that with your academics? Yeah. And so my answer would be, it's interesting because a lot of people's mind go to balance and I don't use the word balance as much because for me, it, it's, uh, it denotes everything has to be weighted exactly the same. And that's a little bit stressful, but, but a harmony is an interesting uh, thing for me. Even what's just like an orchestra, like not everybody performs the same amount of time, but it comes out as a beautiful art. Teaching children that there's an art and science to success and happiness is an interesting idea. I have frameworks, exams that he's developed. And I think that should be must-have learning back, back in school so they could make the most important things of their life, their work of art, meaning not in just a cliche way, it would be to put energy into the things because we only have our time and our attention, right? Not everything is equal, whether kids or not. We don't have equal education. We don't have equal like networks. We don't have equal amount of money, whatever. We have equal amount of 24 hours in a day from showing kids that their time and their attention is what their life is made out of. And then what they put their time and energy into is they'll get more of. And so even right now with everyone cocooning, I'm telling clients right now, I use the metaphor of a butterfly because I feel like we're going through a life cycle. Like when right now we are feel like we're shut in or you know physically distancing ourselves and we're alone with our thoughts and our doubts and our fears and all the we're feeling alone and all these things. What can you do? And I have a quote in the book from a French philosopher that says, Life is the C between B and D. Life is C between B and D. And B stands for birth. D stands for death, C stands for choice, and that's life. It's a series of choices going back to personal responsibility. And so with children having all these options, much more than I had, like growing up as a kid, I would go back and just give kids a sense that they are responsible. And then there are also consequences too, because part of it is that they have to learn through feedback. And, uh, and I believe feedback is the breakfast of of superheroes, but also realizing that there is an opportunity cost with every choice and decision that, that we make. And one part of it is also giving children enough stimulus to see what lights them up. Like even as adults that come to me and say, I feel so burned out because I'm doing so much. I'm like, maybe, or maybe if you're so burnt out now because you're doing so much, maybe you do, you're burnt out because you're doing too little of the things that, that light you up, that make you feel alive. And with children, giving them enough stimulus and novelty to see where their minds go and their hearts flow, and then helping them to nourish that 
because what you nourish flourishes as opposed to for a lot of people I know. And I spent a lot of time on the other side working with seniors who at the later stage of life. And because I, I work with seniors and senior centers, helping them polish off their memories and such, I also hear a lot of regrets at that stage also. And the biggest regret at that stage going back is that they wish that they somehow limited their life because of expectations of other people. Like it was like they didn't pursue this relationship because of what people would think. Or they pursued a specific career because that's what their parents expected of them. And it's an interesting road. And again, learning sometimes like life is messy, right? So we're putting names and labels onto things just so it gives me, take some invisible things more visible so we can hopefully some positive influence and impact on it. That's right. And, and this is how I used to feel when I was in school. I wasn't much of a reader when I was younger. I liked my science and maths, but I always found reading to be a challenge. I was a slow reader. And a lot of our students have said to us, especially for English, they're reading and they have to reread the same paragraph three times because halfway through reading it, they start thinking about something else. They don't actually absorb what they're reading. Is that because the content's not interesting or is there techniques they can use to help them read faster, like you say? Yeah, there are two things I could give you re really quick for individuals of uh, any ages that, that read something, have to read it over and over again, or they read it and then they just forget it or they go back and such. Two things that will help you get over that. First of all, there are these lies that I always talk about. There's a lie to reading is that faster readers have less comprehension, right? You would think if I asked you to read faster, you would understand less. Now, we have a lot of data on this with students in every country in the world. And so we actually find that the faster readers actually have better comprehension because they have better focus. Oh. Because here's the thing, your brain is this incredible supercomputer. I'll tell you where distraction comes from. Your brain is this incredible supercomputer, and yet we feed the supercomputer when we read one word at yeah. uh, time metaphorically what we're doing is we're starving our brain and if we don't give your mind the stimulus it's craving it'll seek entertainment elsewhere in the form of distraction so often we are distracting ourselves because we're actually reading too slow it's if we're driving very slow in your neighborhood or traffic you not really focus on the act of driving what are you doing people are sipping their coffee they're singing they're texting they're having a conversation thinking about the drive they're doing five things slowly but if you're racing cars and you know, taking hairpin turns, you have more or less focus. You have a lot more focus. You're only focused on two things, the act of driving and what's in front of you. Same thing with readers. And so one of the ways to get that is using a visual pacer. So literally we've tested tens of thousands of individuals. When you use your finger to just underline or a pen or a highlighter or a mouse on a computer, that visual pacer will actually help maintain your focus and you'll read 25 to 50% faster and you'll have better focus because you won't naturally go back and back skip because a bad habit that we picked up back in school is regression and back skipping. So that actually, and don't take my word for it, everyone should just read for 60 seconds and then use their finger while they read, count the number of lines, and that number will be about 25, 50% lift, just as a quick tip. This, the second thing I would help everybody here is the questions that you ask are key. Questions are the answer. And I think in reading and in life, and most people aren't asking the right questions, or at least quality questions. Even what I'm talking about here, like every single chapter, like in, back in school, remember you had to read all of those paragraphs and at the end they give you the questions. And just basic test taking 101 is look at the questions first and then read. And then, because then you're, there's an answer, there's an answer, there's an answer. Because when you ask a question, it stimulates that part of your brain. They call it a reticular activating system, RAS for short. And it just, your mind becomes a magnet with every question. 
And in the beginning, you notice in the beginning of every single chapter that we start with very specific questions so people could charge their reticular activating system. So then they're like, oh, that's the answer. That's why habits don't work when some people and some people they do this, that kind of thing. And so asking questions, uh, like whether you're reading a book or listening to a podcast or a conversation or a lecture, you always have the responsibility to stay curious. Even if I'm in an audience waiting to go on stage, and, and, and people are asleep next to me because the, te- this, the, the instructor, I won't get bored with them. I will be like, wow, I'll be so proud. I'll be like, how's this guy boring every single person in this room all at the same time? That's fascinating to me. And I'll get curious about that. And so I would say when you're reading, to get the most out of your reading, if you want greater speed, use your finger while you read. If you want more comprehension, ask more questions. If you ask more questions, you get more answers. Excellent. Yeah, I'm so passionate about this because my goal is to make this the most read. It's doing well, really well in sales, but I want to make this most not bought book, but the most read book. Because a lot of people buy books and it sits on your shelf and it becomes shelf help, not self-help. And people are buying a book is a very different skill set than reading a book. And some people are really good at putting books into the card and buying them, but not many people are good at reading them. And my goal is when people go to limitlessbook.com, they get a 10-day like video, audio, companion course on speed reading, memory, focus. So that way that when the book arrives, they get, they, their skill set is improved. In psychology, they call it a competence-confidence loop, that you, and more competent and skilled. And so that's why chapter four, it's actually how to read and remember this in any other book um, ever. Because if you were Lord of the Rings, it's like the one ring to rule them all. I want this to be the one book to learn them all because this book will teach you how to learn everything else after that. And I know if a child loves to learn, especially if they love to read, then that's gonna be a huge advantage. Like when people see me with pictures of me and Oprah and Elon Musk and Bill Gates and all these individuals, that came from Richard Branson, all, that came from our love of reading. Like I bonded with all those individuals over our favorite books. And I realized that commonality is they, they love to learn and leaders are readers and so, that's why I, I wanted to write this book to help people to, to read more because I want to be an advocate for reading. Uh, no, that, that's excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jim. That's uh, a perfect way to round off. Thank you for your time. The book is New York Times bestseller, number one on Amazon. Every day it's shifting higher across all platforms where it's sold. It's an incredible book. It's a beautiful gift that you've given uh, the world because like you said, because it teaches us how to read and learn for life and uh, not learn what's in the book. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. As I said, it's in the top five books of all time for me. I've been a reader for a long time and I thank you so much for your time and your energy and you're incredible. I could ask you so many questions on how you I know, I know. I just want to just thank your entire team and family for doing what you do. Because I think in times of crisis, this is what the world needs more, is they need community. They need people around them that I was talking about a positive peer group, people that encourage them, that challenge them, that serve them, that support them, that cheerlead for them, that believe in them. And if you haven't found those people, then you know my recommendation for some people is to be that person for somebody else. And especially be that person for, for you, you know, be that person for yourself. And I believe that going back to choice, the power of choice that these difficult times, again, they could define us or these difficult times can diminish us or these difficult times can develop us. Ultimately, we decide every single day. My recommendation is do not downgrade your dreams. To, like everyone's, when you're in fight or flight, chronic stress 
and fears suppresses your immune system, makes more susceptible to colds, the flus, the viruses. It's a whole area of science called psychoneuroimmunology. And I'm just saying, you don't want to give in to fear because and this is why. Don't downgrade your dreams to meet this current situation. What you want to do is instead, I offer you another option. So downgrading your dreams to meet this current situation, upgrade your mindset, your motivation, and your methods to be able to meet your dreams, to meet your destiny. But thank you for the great work that you do. Thank you for everyone who tuned in for this to be able to share. And uh, my final words are like, I, I leave with this is that I wish your days be full lots of life and love, lots of laughter and, and always lots of learning, always learning. <laughs> thank you very much, Jim. Thank, thank you, everybody. Wow. Some great takeaways there from the great Jim Quick. Thank you again, Jim. That was such an amazing interview. And I can't wait to see you again once the US is out of lockdown and we can all travel. Now, before I sign off, I wanted to remind all our listeners that I always produce and share with you knowledge and content that I know will provide value in your life. In this series, whether you take with you one of the models that Jim introduced or his speed reading tips, I hope you log off feeling content and inspired to climb higher in all eight areas of life. We are surrounded by phenomenal thought leaders, people such as Jim Quick, and I have so many coming up on the podcast, some yet to be revealed international talents. So please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any information and advice in the eight areas of life because they are designed to help you upgrade your performance daily. Until next time, as always, live consciously, my friends.